stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart, and you're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. This week, we're taking you along to a poetry night with Deb, whose voice might be familiar to FBI radio listeners. Deb hosts Tuesday Lunch here on FBI and is also a poet. She's recently started a new poetry collective that meets once a fortnight. It's a small and intimate space, and in this episode, Deb and her friends have brought their poetry into the studio to share with us. You'll hear their poems, thoughts, and a bit about each member's personal relationship with poetry. Here's Deb to tell us more about how it all started. Hey, my name's Deb, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you into the space where me and a bunch of fellow poets I have been running a a poetry group with for the past year or so are going to share our thoughts and some of our work. What do you call a collection of poets? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what's what's it called? Like a a collection of cats? Like, Uh, isn't it like a a a clouder? What? A parliament. (laughs) <laughs> um, I call it I call it a bay tree because we're all laureates. It's <laughs> <laughs> maybe That's very good. yeah an abstract an abstract. <laughs> <laughs> well, I met Anna and um, Max at a friend's gathering, and I also met Tyler at a friend's party, and I just gradually corner people into conversations where I'm like, do you like poetry? Oh my God, me too. It was actually originally with Tyler that we thought of the idea together. Um, A late night chat just being like, oh, it'd be so good if we had like a poetry group. Um, And then I was like, you know what? I'll try and make this happen. And I just send a lot of incessant texts to people being like, come to this space. And then eventually they all did. And I was like, oh, fancy that. And we've since sort of been drawing drawing people in like a large yes. sort of spreading <laughs> organism yeah. covering yeah. <laughs> all of our social yeah. groups. But I think that's, yes, yeah, so much of the beauty of the structure um, of our group is just this kind of very like informal echo chamber where um, the main thing at the, at the heart of it is just vocalisation and it's not necessarily like accurate or, you know, everyone's like best performances. It's just the, the kind of... Uh, active voicing is is very important because yeah I think that's like how you um, achieve like confidence in your ideas and your innermost thoughts because that yeah yeah sometimes when we have like other artists come to poetry they kind of like talk about having like a new understanding of even their own work 
by having it interpreted mm. by people who write poetry and then vice versa, having your poetry interpreted by someone who's a painter or a photographer. Yeah. 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 No, I've definitely targeted various artists to come into the poetic space just so that, yeah, everyone's deep down a poet. It's just like how good they are at hiding it, even to themselves, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, I'm going to start off with a poem called I Am a Fractal. Circle in the centre, circle in the centre of the centre. I twist and envelop the former. I'm eating the bend. Regurgitating as a fold, I stretch and develop into a band of concentric recursion, pink forgetting in mottled patches. If I stare at the patch for long enough, it throbs. It is the same throbbing recursion that prevents sleep, dries my neural nodes and leads to the same. Concentric regurgitation, the enveloping appetite of my cognition that speeds as a double. Thoughts in thoughts, edges that join into a corner of another's edge. I am a wedge as a tip of a point into another tipped point. Shadows behind the tree, the breeze unfolds into my limbs, into the limbs of others. Branching as a separation, I join into your folds and find the liberty of regression as an infinite thing. As my color changes and shape holds, I find another shadow behind the original shape. There is a new corner I had not foreseen. The rivulets are embedded with grease and microbes. I harbor more than the boundaries of self. Ingrained in my surface politics are the recursions of others, trying to find the resemblance in the semblance. Concentric gatherings as unfolding into squares, locked into a corner and bashing the apertures into formation. Into complicity I code my becomings, into concentricity I admit, folding and unfolding as a riverbed and as a reflection I hold. Um. Poetry is important to me because it is kind of the, the beauty of chaos and um, openness and mystery. Um, and it allows you to communicate using language in a way that no other context really like affords the same sort of flexibility with meaning or um, it doesn't give you the same sort of room um, and possibility that poetry does um so it's really um a fundamental part of like my emotional expression and also a way to like process um things that are happening to me and ultimately like come to understand myself better i was gonna say i love that line i harbor more than the boundaries of self i think is so uh central to what poetry is about because i think there's something really true about when you take an image that you've experienced in the world and you put it in a poem, you put it into a greater context, it's a way of taking that private experience and saying, this is the social communal reality that it exists within. So it's kind of the boundaries of the self, you know, they contain so much more than those boundaries. They're more of an opening towards a greater kind of being. And I think that's what poetry tries to capture. Why is poetry important to me? It sort of became uncool because of the entertainment industry, like, more generally, like, culture and art as, like, something that can be easily packaged, marketed and sold, and it's almost impossible to do that with 
poetry, I think. It was something that, like, maybe you read and you don't particularly even like it at first, but then something about it, like, draws you back and you read it, like, again and again and again and you get, like, a new reading of it every single time. I guess music kind of does that too, but or all art, I suppose. But there's something, like, about the brevity of of poetry. So this one's called Hope. An orphic lyre that sings silent psalms and pines with palmless palms to a repeating rhythmic river sticks, who bloats with festering uniformed fallen and swells with the sickening sulfurous stench of saviour. Such a sacred despot. Stretching skins of sapien synecdoche to dead voids of voracious verisimilitude. But yet, sprouting strawberry saplings from mothers scorched by summer's smoke strength, apocalypse strength, and no rapture except effervescent elpis to lie dormant as hyphae runners of our hydratic earth or sleep as fossil seeds in melting glaciers or swell in perennial pollen, sweet-scented in spring, swimming through memory and breathing massless burden on a body. A spirit that must stand at the edge of all rupture and there finds tune to muse with transcendent multitudes that scale serpentine and androgynous ion and dance in cosmos cataclysm. A sense beyond sense and extense, Pandora's maternal, eternal protection from Olympian tyrants who scourge her slick strength and who sow a discordance of domination through her everywhen womb song. The gift of terror to tear through all terrors. Hope. There's just such like a, like a viscerality to your work um, in the sense that um, as soon as you read it, it like transforms the poem. Mm. Um, like I've read some of your work before, written down and it's just like, it's not even like approximately the same. It's like it comes to life just in the way that like you That's voice it. That's just because I don't know how line breaks work. No, <laughs> no, no not <laughs> at all. It's because it's entrancing. Yeah. It's because it has like a hypnotic, the alliterative quality of yeah. it. Like you're bringing out like, you know, 100%. Neolithic cave chanting <laughs> type beats, you know. <laughs> it's like you, you're like tearing the words apart when you say them, which is like such a, a cool thing because you know, you're like giving a, a new meaning to their sound by the way that they bounce off the other the other phrases. And it's like, yeah, it's such a um, entrancing like performance. For me, poetry is inherently a political act, I think first and foremost, because I think it's a way of recapturing a mode of imagination that's very difficult to access in our current social and political structures in the sense that it's a mode that uh, isn't isn't productive, doesn't serve anything. I mean, perfect poetry is kind of perfectly useless or it should be allowed to be useless. Um, but in that sort of uselessness, it opens up the space to, you know, to dream, to think, to allow yourself to be a little bit rough around the edges and most importantly to do that communally to you know the best poetry is for an audience it's for people who will connect to it who will see a little inkling of themselves in something that could have been just a potentially private 
image for you that you thought no one else would connect to. So I think it's really powerful in the sense that it gives us these these little bridges to say there are things that we connect over um, that can be so incredibly personal and unexpected. And that gives us, I guess, a mode of a mode of then building from that um, onto other structures. I think I've always, um, well, over the last few years, I've tried to use poetry in political contexts more and more. Like I've written poems that have been read out at like, you know, coal mine blockades and I've written poems like on the picket line and read them on the picket line and made a zine about um, striking. And I think things like that have always, um, I guess, confirmed to me that there is a point <laughs> to poetry, which sometimes feels like a case that needs to be made. Um, yeah, so I think that's why I love poetry. My name is Anastasia, and the poem I'm going to read is called ALF1. Building a prison beyond this prison, with the help of many others, building with hands tied to the ultimate imagination of building a prison beyond this prison, because many of us thought to do so independently and agreed mutually beneficial, Building a prison beyond this prison, maybe because productive ultimately, maybe because engrossing the passion of building a prison beyond this prison while in this prison, and dark besides, and very instructive, the character of building and of prison, and knowing more about ourselves each time we catch ourselves building a prison beyond this prison again, even having heard now the stories of how others had tried it, and how epistemologically flawed, together incoherent, deciding anyway we should be building a prison beyond this prison, and reminding each other that when we are finished building a prison beyond this prison, we can rest then. And dutifully, from time to time, picking up the bodies of those who died building a prison beyond this prison, carrying them to the edge of that which we are building beyond this prison, and throwing them off it tenderly, tenderly saying we are building a prison beyond this prison so that you may have something to be thrown off, and so that in building a prison beyond this prison together, it might mean we imagine there is something beyond this prison we are building and say so to each other as we build. I think, yeah, like when I heard this poem for the first time, um, it immediately reminded me of this uh, narrative um, where there was a character who was trapped in this like infinite um, yeah, prison cell and he was like trying to burrow out of it but um there was like a kind of like magical realism aspect that as soon as you burrowed through that room another one developed on the other side of it so like that imagery is very um yeah visceral for me and the way that you know it communicates um the inescapability of um entrapment and kind of speaks to to the reality of that um for many people because yeah even though Obviously, uh, optimism has its place, but at times you really have to face the reality of situations and say that some things are inescapable. And what happens if we're, you know, kind of making the situation more inescapable for more people? And what if there's no way to fix that that's like tangible or like visible at this stage? And like, how do we negotiate with, with that realization? Mm. Yeah, I think that there's definitely something there about what is the level of honesty that we have to have with ourselves in transformative projects? How much of what we call the human condition can really be put down to social and political things and to what extent is there really 
um, I mean, you know, a certain existential impulse or void that we're always going to have to confront. And in fact, if we don't confront it at the beginning of our transformative projects, it'll come back to, you know, with a vent to us, with a vengeance in, in potentially very destructive ways. So I think that's definitely part of what I'm trying to think through. Hi, my name is Tyler, um, he, him pronouns, and I wrote a poem recently called My Grandmother's Garden, which is a kind of elegy for my grandmother Mary, who passed away not too long ago. There was nothing I could do watching Mary die. Beside her, I remained quiet as the flowers on the mantel, more useless than my mother's prayers. Sometimes she comes to visit. Once, a mantis perched gently on the headboard above me in the early morning. Once, a large flock of yellow-tailed black cockatoos adorning the tempestuous sky the day before her funeral. Today she visits me at work. This time her name is Sue, and I help her push the trolley with the busted wheel to her car and load the boot with bags of garden soil and terracotta pots she will use to grow geraniums and herbs. She tries to thank me with a $10 note discreetly tucked inside her frail hand like she always used to, and I refuse the same way I always did. As a reader, poetry is important to me because I adore the immediacy and intimacy and vulnerability and connections forged across space and time that can be found in poetry. Um, and as a writer, it's a medium where I'm able to express the otherwise inexpressible, or at least get nearer to it. Grief, for example, um, I find to be a very paralyzing and confusing and always shape-shifting thing. And it's something I find very difficult talking or writing about in any other way. Um, but poetry accords me, for whatever reason, the ability to capture as best I can the weight and perplexity and just kind of cosmic sadness of such profound loss that grief brings. Um, and also giving a voice to my younger self is a theme that appears in much of my poetry. Um, and there's many reasons why, but one is that it's a way of confronting experiences in my earlier life that haunt me. And through confronting those experiences and turning them into poetry, I'm sometimes able to make peace with those memories or even to exercise them. Um, and there are, is, I think, a kind of grief attached to memory. Yeah, I think it's only been recently that I've entertained the idea of making music specifically for my poetry or for me to read poems over the top of, potentially. Um, but that hasn't really eventuated yet, but I'm starting to kind of like build those links, I suppose, between the two. Such a tender poem. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it really speaks to the way that um, poetry is such a, a vital space to discuss experiences which can otherwise like um, seem a little bit like incompatible to, to share with collectives and like mm. um that's something that i think is probably some of the most like um positive features of poetry is yeah, the ability sure. to negotiate with grief and things which can be so lonely mm. in a group and in a way where like others can listen to it and um and it's seen as art and like yeah. it has so much like 
depth and, and authenticity to it. Definitely, yeah, mm. I agree. It allows such a, such a visceral connection to some essence, both of your memory of the person and of the person themselves. I mean, I think that that kind of really sort of realist imagery and that the attention, like the little details, and the busted wheel and all of these little things, I think it brings you into a space of presence that would be very difficult, I think, to attain if you were just telling someone about yeah. the person that you that you love. It's mm. it's very different, I think, yeah. yeah. I think, like, a recurring sort of, I don't know, feeling for me when I hear your poetry or read your poetry is like the sort of grief of nostalgia almost, or the grief of memory, mm -hmm. um, in a way, and like the complex interplay between memory and grief and trauma, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, definitely some common themes in the work. <laughs> <laughs> there is this huge, I think, fear that people have when it comes to writing their feelings in language that, um, you know, it's cliche or it's, you know, uh, it's not good enough or it's too simple, but that's just really far away from the truth because you have to start somewhere and as soon as you write a poem, even if it's not, you know, your best work, you are a poet. So I think that everyone really needs to confront this fear and try to have more fun with language because it can really open the door to expressing yourself more, which is such a, a cool thing to be able to do. Um, so anyway, this game is going to hopefully demonstrate the way that poems can be a bit of a game or something that's fun, something that's collaborative and also, you know, not that complicated, maybe a little bit silly, but hopefully we're going to see that um, there's more than, than meets the eye when you kind of set up these parameters. So the structure of this game, it's a literary version of Exquisite Corpse, is that the first person writes a question, the second person writes an answer, and the third person writes a comment. Mm. And collectively, supposedly these three um, types of sentences have like a syntactical structure or like a verbal structure, which is going to kind of give the tone of a poem immediately, no matter what we write. Not really, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll work it just out. Just bring, bring the paper just, Are we writing we'll one? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of thing breathes for itself? Certainly, the morose figure still lurks in the shadows. Something isn't right here. The melody dispersed and then was forgotten. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Yes. That's a chaotic process. Genuinely speechless. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well now let's do some analysis of what the poem's about. Oh, oh, no. No. oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> How many for my psychiatric <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for Poetry Night. And if you'd like to catch more of anything that you heard me read today, I actually have a book launch for my first collection of poetry. And it's going to be Thursday, the 2nd of March, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Shop Gallery in Glebe. I'd love to see you there. Um, there's going to be some more live readings from Tyler, Max and Anna and some other poets from the group as well. So please do come along. And if you can't make it then, there's 
Also, another opportunity, you can come to Sydney Streets Festival, which is on Sunday, March the 5th, from 10am to 10pm, a full day of lots of fun and activities on Glebe Point Road. I will have a stall there where you can also have a chat and maybe look at my book and also some other artists' work. Hope to see you there. That was Deb talking about the launch of her first poetry collection and upcoming events where Tyler, Max and Anastasia will be sharing more poetry. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Broomerang lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All The Best Editorial Manager is Mel Chun and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our Production Manager. Our Social Media Producer is Timothy Nguyen, Lydia Yosefova is our Community Coordinator and Madura Prakash is our Trainee. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.